Quiet, please. where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, I want to thank everyone who's joined us today for listening in and for joining us in the chat room. It is open. So uh, if you haven't joined us there, go ahead and join us. My guest today is actor Michael Pare. Uh, he's uh, been in scores of movies. Uh, you may know him best from one of his earlier films, Eddie and the Cruisers. He's, he's become a, a big cult star from that. And, uh, and we're going to talk to him about... Uh, the work that an actor does to prepare and and about his career in just a few moments. But first, I want to say thank you to all the people who retweet about this show, who post it on their Facebook walls or comment on my Facebook walls or who use social media in some way to spread the reach of Rex Sykes' movie beat to other listeners. Because when you do that, you make us more popular, you make us us, uh, uh, more available to other filmmakers around the world who may not have yet tuned in. And uh, so I really appreciate that. There are so many fine people who are doing that around the world uh, using Twitter in in that fashion. The official website is rexsykes.com. That's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. I'm your host at Rex Sykes Movie Beat. All of these interviews are archived right there at rexsykes.com in the interviews blog. You can always go there 24-7, listen to any of the interviews, just search for my guest by name or scroll through the archives. They're also available as podcasts at the iTunes store. There's over 175 hours of professional filmmakers and content providers, celebrities and behind-the-scenes production people who are sharing insider information, secrets, tips, suggestions, how to, what not to do to help you make your projects and to advance your career faster, easier, without reinventing the wheel, less expensively, and to help you get your projects done. And that really, truly is most important. We want all of you to be able to reach your goals and make your dreams come true. And so that's why I connect you up with the people uh, that I do, because Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. And, uh, and I appreciate it when you help me reach those other people. So if you're listening live now, uh, or even if you're listening to this as an archive show, please go ahead and friend us, make us a favorite, leave comments about the show, about my guest, because that, again, helps increase our popularity, helps get the word out to other people. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you can rate and review the shows right there. And most importantly, if you're in the chat room right now or if you can hear my voice, call someone on the phone. Uh, email someone, tweet about it right now, put it on Facebook or MySpace or whatever you use. Go, go to YouTube and say, hey, you know what? I'm listening to Rex Egg's Movie Beat. The guest today is Michael Pare. You've got to hear this and tune on in. And, uh, and that way, again, we'll reach more people. I am excited today uh, about my guest. I've been a big fan for years, and the opportunity to speak with him in person on the show with you guys listening in is fantastic. If you've got questions, uh, please go ahead and ask. Um, Michael began his career at the age of 22 uh, when he first appeared in a commercial for Pierre Cardin. Now, uh, according to his bio, and I haven't asked him about this yet, but he was uh, he had prepared or trained or, or gone to school and, and was a sous chef. Uh, so we're going to have to ask him about his cooking as well. Um, and you, he did some modeling and some print uh, ads for automobiles. And then a little over a year later, uh, Joyce Selznick, at the time a super agent, came to New York as part of an ABC nationwide talent hunt. And uh, during the time that she was there with her partner, Jan McCormick, they discovered uh, a headshot of Michael, and eventually they called him in uh, and tested him for a role on the ABC series, The Greatest American Hero, which he did win uh, that role. And then uh, that led to a series called um, Crazy Times with uh, then up-and-comers Ray Liotta and David Caruso. 
but from there, Eddie and the Cruisers happened, and, and that uh, blasted Michael onto the scene. And since then, he's done over 70 films. He's appeared in other television series. And uh, and Uwe Boll, who's a, who's a guest and a friend of, of Movie Beat, has, has done at least three movies, I believe, with uh, with Michael. Seed, Postal, Far Cry, uh, and oh, Blood Rain. One and two. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right here. I'm gonna bring Michael on and uh, and we'll launch right into to chatting with him. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Rex. But you know you have a, a variety of misinformation uh, about you know the beginning of my career, and uh, that's okay. It's good that there's rumors. All right. Well, good. Good. Clarify. Tell us tell us how that started. I I, I should have asked you about this before given that uh, we're newly acquainted. So um, uh, please, go ahead. And uh... All right, well, I started studying acting when I was about 20. I, uh, I was working as a, a sous chef on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which I don't know if you're familiar with New York, but uh-huh. that's kind of like a, a show business neighborhood because the ABC News is over there. They shoot a uh, soap opera over there. So you can run into all kinds of people walking on Columbus Avenue. And I used to hang out in a bar where my girlfriend was a waitress. And uh, there happened to be an, uh, an agent there one night. And she uh, started chatting me up and suggesting that maybe I should consider being an actor. And I, after several encounters with her, I said, okay, fine. So I started studying acting. And right after my first class, I decided this was something I was going to pursue. Wow. So I studied for about two years with a variety of teachers, and um, I heard that Joyce Selznick was casting for ABC's talent development program. And uh, my agent couldn't get me in because they were only allowed to get a certain number of people in because it was like a a cattle call. So I I followed another actor into the audition, and uh, Joyce came out in the hall to look at who was, you know, waiting in line. And she came up and she said, listen, kid, I'm Joyce Selznick. If you do what I tell you, I'll take you to Hollywood and make you a star. Wow. And I said, okay, Joyce. And uh, about a week later, she sent me a contract and an airplane ticket. And uh, I came out to California. And, you know, I had been cast in Greatest American Hero, which was Stephen Cannell's very first independent television show. He had written uh, Beretta and Toma and half a dozen other shows, but this was the first time that he was producing, and he pretty much uh, put me in after seeing my audition for Selznick. I did that show for about two years, and during one of the hiatuses, we shot a movie of the week for ABC called Crazy Times. It wasn't a series, and but it was with Ray, myself, and David, and uh, after that, I started the second season, and on the next hiatus, I shot Eddie and the Cruises, and that's pretty much when my movie career started. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Well, first of all, I'm impressed because uh, I, you know, when I when I read the bio that that I had, that or that I got the information from, I thought, you know, I remember Joyce Selznick as a casting director. I don't remember her as an agent. Um, no, she wasn't an agent. She was casting for ABC's talent development program. Right. She wasn't well, an agent at the time. No, she was. Uh, uh, she's like the niece of David O. Selznick. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yep. Well, I, that's amazing. Now, as far as my career, I, I, I love it. Somebody walks up and says, "You should be an actor." When I was an actor, or as an early actor, people would say, "Well, maybe you should, you know, go do something else." <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should be a manager at Hardee's. But you know, so it's really cool that you, uh, you know, that that worked that way for you. So, um, you know, I know that there are a lot of people. I mean, on Twitter and things like that, they've already said so, and I hope you don't mind discussing it. I'm sure you have for for probably 30 years, but uh, could you tell us a little bit of, uh, about Eddie and the Cruisers and, and, uh, and, then, and then how that... Well, you know, that was uh, a screenplay I, uh, I took with me down to St. Croix. We were shooting a three episodes, two or three episodes of Greatest American Hero down in the Caribbean, and my agent gave me this screenplay that was, uh, you know, it was one of the first movies that ICM set me up with. So I, I read it several times while I was down there, and, you know, it was about, you know, a rock star, but I was really, uh, you know, you know, I, I didn't quite understand it because it was shot, it was written with a lot of flashbacks, which uh, I wasn't that familiar with. But anyway, on the way back to California, I stopped in New York with my buddy Don Cervantes to see my brother, who was on Greatest American Hero with me. He was uh, played Paco in Greatest American Hero. And we stopped in New York to uh, visit my brother, 
uh, on the Lower East Side, and we hung around for about a week, and my agent said, listen, uh, Marty Davidson is in New York. We can get you a meeting. And I said, fantastic. So I went up, and uh, he didn't have me audition or anything. He just wanted to talk to me and get a feel for, you know, who I was. And uh, when I got back to L.A., they started negotiating the deal. And Marty came out to California, and he put together some, you know, improvisational sessions with, uh, you know, like half a dozen actors who were all con- being considered. And, um, you know, Marty was really going about it, you know, like Sandy Meisner. He was a real, you know, playing a lot of uh, workshop games and uh, improvisations to find out where the character, you know, should be. And, uh, you know, it was a very artsy situation because I had a television series, so I wasn't hungry. You know, I wasn't, like, desperate for the job. So I got to really approach it, you know, on an artist level. And everybody involved, you know, the the trick was that Marty hired all actors to play musicians. Where, you know, you would think, why not hire musicians to play musicians? It'll be real. And he said, well, then musicians can only play themselves. Where we were playing, you know, it was kind of, you know, um, one of those movies where it was uh, almost like One Step Beyond or Night Gallery because we were, like, not stereotypical. We were, like... I don't know, all special artists, every actor, you know, approached it like the most important job of their life. And uh, I think that's where a lot of the magic came from. You know, even the people in the scenes who didn't have dialogue had, like, real serious business going on. It could have been a Broadway production, you know, or an off-Broadway play. Wow. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a magical thing because... We were all young. Nobody was hungry or desperate or, or worried. It was all like, "Gosh, we get, we have a chance to make a really, you know, artsy, you know, movie here." Um, let me just uh, interrupt for a second to say there are a lot of people calling in, and I and I don't typically take any phone calls from callers uh, because I can't control that. And uh, but I do take questions uh, in the chat room. So if you are listening and you are on the phone, uh, please go to the chat room and and ask. Uh, your question there uh, that would be fantastic and I, I do appreciate you tuning in um, well that's that is uh, that's that's awesome now the movie came out and of course was a huge hit I guess I mean in terms of in terms of its in terms of making you uh, you know this cult cult figure I mean I remember the talk about Eddie and the Cruisers and then they came back with a sequel um, to kind of resolve what had happened at the end of that movie and I guess for people who haven't seen it yet, if they haven't, and the younger listeners, um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, reveal anything. But, but uh, uh, how, how, what? For you were in a TV series, and now you had this movie. What was it like with the with the movie for you? I mean, the kind of the did, did, would you say that changed how you were perceived as an actor? I mean, in, well, kind of, yeah, because you see, greatest American hero was. A great place for me to get uh, like on-the-job training. You know, we learn how to work with the camera and hit marks and lights, and uh, you know, coverage over the shoulder and you know, close-ups and two shots and masters and all that stuff. So I was like really familiar suddenly with working with the camera. So it wasn't like a, mis- a mystery when I got to shoot Eddie and the Cruisers. That was, uh, you know. We had Fred Murphy and um, Roger Deakins was the operator on it. And Roger Deakins is a hit, is like a legendary, you know, cinematographer now. We had everybody in that movie was really magical, you know, from Tom Berenger and Ellen Barkin and and Joe Pantoliano and Matthew Lawrence and and Joanne Carlino, Helen Schneider. You know, she was the only real musician in the movie. She was a, a big rock star from Queens, but she was a European rock star. You know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what was the difference between television and the movie. We yeah. had uh, we had forty days to shoot the movie, and we only had like seven days to shoot an hour of television. So we had like three times the amount of time to shoot the same amount of program. Now we're going to talk about. I mean, when when you and I discussed this, we talked about you know an actor preparing and and uh, scene analysis, you know, getting into the role and things like that. But but let's for a moment talk about the difference between TV. And film, there's a difference in speed. Uh, there's there's a difference in a series between you know who comes on or each you know time you have a different director or something like. That. Can you could you address that uh, you know for uh, those of uh, the actors in the crowd who are pursuing a career in movies and television? 
Well, series television, you know, is like a, a format all its own. You know, that's where uh, the producers, it, they, they say that series television is a producer's medium. And the movie is a director's medium, and theater is an actor's medium. So, you know, with television, you have a different director every episode, but you have the same writers and producers that are there every day, and the same cinematographer and the same cast. So those directors, you know, although they have a tremendous impact, it's not like... Uh, it's not like they don't have that much creative input, because they have to fill a formula that's been established by the writers and producers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's also different now. When you look at the miniseries, you look at uh, Deadwood, you know, for HBO, that's, that's a whole other medium because you can go from episode to episode of that and really see the impact of the directors on that. Where movies, you know, it's all up to the director because he's there from the writing to the production to the post-production to the release. You know, it's... Um, you know that that's that's all very complicated stuff, but that doesn't really impact what the actor's job is. All right, well let let's take it from there. What what is the actor's job, and how do you go about uh, approaching that? Well, the general statement is that an actor's job is to help a director bring to fruition his vision. You know that's the uh, basic general concept of you know an actor's task. And then as, as uh, that assistant for bringing to uh, the screen the, the director's vision, um, to what end? I mean, what, what do you do? How do you help that along, and how do you work with the director in, in, in two things? One, in, in assisting the director in bringing out the best in you and in, in, in being a contributor in this process. Well, you know, I've always had trouble with that concept that a director brings out something in the actor. Good. Um, you know, I always thought, and I never quite understood when, when people said, you know, a director has to bring something out of me. I think uh, a director kind of sorts through, you know, options you offer. You know, um, the idea that you can just show up and wait for a director to tell you what he wants. You know, you might get lucky and find a director like that, but I, I find it's always better to show up with a definite choice and interpretation and then to let the director mold that. You know, and to, you know, it's like it's hard to get somebody running. But once he's running, you can direct him. Right. Good point. You know, so that's, uh, that's pretty much how I've always worked. Um, I, uh, when I say help a director bring to fruition his vision, you know, you start with the script. And you have to really read the script from beginning to end at least once a day from the moment you're involved in the production. Or when the, from the moment you believe that you have a chance of getting the job, uh -huh. you know, so that you have uh, something to talk about when you meet the director, besides sports or you know what you have for dinner, you know, it's 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 important that you have a take on it, because like I say, he can direct you if you have a position, but to show up and say what do you want me to do, you know. That's the dream that he can take anybody, you know, off at a bus stop and make him a star. Uh, well, that's, I, I, I like that. I mean, I like the fact that that uh, what you're saying is, is one, you got to be prepared. Two, you you've got to go through the script. You've got to know, you know, your part and the script intimately so that you can discuss it, and then you work with it. Well, you have to understand what your job is, what your character's part is in telling the story. You know, not everybody is the star of the movie. Some people are just colors of, you know, the protagonist's life, and others, you know, are part of his obstacles that he has to overcome, which is the story. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's an excellent point. Uh, and so, so, so the the key is if you're prepared, and now you bring to the director, you know, your uh, I guess understanding of the role. You bring to the director uh, different, maybe different approaches that you would have, and 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 together you begin working on this. Um, what do you do to prepare? First off, how do you, besides reading the script, what do you, what, how do you delve in? How do you ana analyze the scenes? And well, mostly I, uh, like I say, I read the script every day from beginning to end, and you know that's how I start. And once I have, you know, a pretty good understanding of what the the main story is, I start looking for the beats and where the story changes and where, 
you know, what things happen that bring us to the major conflict that the story is about. And once I have that, those two general steps taken, then I go scene by scene and find, you know, my objective and my obstacles scene by scene. And, uh, you know, when if I show up with those things clearly in mind, usually the director can find point where he wants to go. You know, it's a lot of reading and visualizing in the first person. You know, it's like when I say visualize, I don't see myself. I see it from my point of view. You know, if in the scene I walk into a, a room and I look through the window and then the door opens and I turn around and somebody enters with a gun, you know, I don't watch it like from the seats in the theater. I'm on right. stage. You know what I mean? I, I see myself walking in the room. I don't see my body. I see it through my eyes. You know, it's like my perspective. So I do that. I visualize that a lot. Like after about the fifth or sixth time reading through the screenplay, I start reading it specifically from my point of view. And that's where a lot of the ideas and the, the meat and the fat of my character comes from. You know, because if you're really going to do your job, you know, you have to live that script, you know, like, you know, hundreds of times before you shoot it. And, uh, you know, where some people say, oh, well, you can shoot as many takes as you want. Well, maybe you can do that now, but with film, they only have so many feet of film. And they say, well, now with these electronic cameras that are digital, you know, magnetic, you can shoot as much as you want. But still, there's amount of time. There's only so many hours in the day and so many days in the schedule. You have to show up really almost, you know, at 100% when you're going to shoot. And the director may adjust you a little bit or remind you of, um, of, of, of a, you know, a preoccupation you can have before the scene starts or, you know, an objective at the end. But um, the preparation is mostly the reading, visualizing, and understanding why you do the things you do. Now, I, I, I have a, a number of questions. I'm going to start off uh, with the going back to the idea of scene by scene and, and, and conflict in each scene, or or an objective in each scene, and and ask you simply to address that because obviously it's more interesting. I mean, if a scene goes nowhere, if there's no progression, if there's no uh, conflict or or uh, and by conflict we don't mean argument, but just something that you want that you can't get or something that somebody doesn't want to give away that, that you know, you're trying to obtain or, or however you define conflict. But, I mean, uh, each scene has, has a conflict so that it, that it starts and goes somewhere, correct? I mean... Well, you have an objective in each scene, and then there's an obstacle between right. you and your objective. You know, even if it's just a subtext of you really hate this person, but you have to be nice to them in order to get the answer you want. You know, so you're obstacle is that you can't stand this person and that could be all subtext exactly no and 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 i think that's what makes for more interesting acting i mean some sometimes you get a script and, and there's a scene and it just seems like it's ex exposition it's just a lot of talk and it doesn't seem to really go anywhere but yeah but most of shakespeare's yeah. exposition <laughs> true <laughs> True, but I mean, but I mean that it seems to you know it seems like the writer is trying to tell a story rather than have the actors do the story. So it's it's really up to the actor to, to kind of make something out of that scene. And what you just said there about subtext or about you know having an objective, even if it's just I, I don't want to say mere exposition, but even if it's just kind of you know a wordiness, it, it really is up to you as the actor to make it interesting for the audience. Right. All right, so let me ask you this, and, and then um, I've got a, a number of questions in the chat room that I'm going to actually want to take too. Um, but let me ask you this: so, so how does it differ between that and the TV schedule, and, and in terms of working with the director, and and uh, is there more or less direction in television for you than there was in, in film? Um, there's less direction in uh, series television because. Often, it's been my experience, you have to say the words verbatim in a television script because it's there's like five or six television writer producers on each show. And they very carefully choose each word. You know, it's not like, you know, say whatever feels right to you. 
because everything is connected throughout the whole year. So that can be very specific, where in some movies, you know, a director will say, just make it fit your mouth. And uh, sometimes that works, and other times you get to the end of the movie or to the editing room and realize, Jesus, that's not what I wanted him to say, what he said. Uh-huh. You know, it's, uh, syntax can change the whole meaning of a line. Um, you know, and, you know, subtext can change the whole, you know, how you say it can change the whole meaning. In movies, you have a little more time to play that. You know, the director can listen, and, you know, now that they have monitors, you know, when I started, there were no monitors. You can watch it and say, no, that's not quite right, or that's not quite what we mean. Where in television, if you pretty much play what's on the page, you know, you're doing your job. You know, I mean, you, you have to bring depth of character and subtext to that also. But television is uh, is a little easier in that you just have to do it word for word. Uh, I mean, I, now here's this is an interesting. When I say television, I mean series television because yes. now that we have cable, HBO, and Showtime. And, uh, you know, a lot of these other channels are doing, you know, um, really quality work. You know, American television is better than a lot of independent movies that get made. It really has grown up, hasn't it? Yeah, come on. You know, I'm, we've been watching uh, um, Deadwood for the past uh-huh. week. Because, uh, you know, I, I like Pete Dexter's writing a lot. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's based on his book, Deadwood. And you just see, I mean, these are great performances, outstanding. And you watch The Sopranos, these great performances, or or The Wire, or uh, uh, Rescue Me. These are great shows, great writing, great performances. I mean, it's just, it's better than half the independent movies that get made. Oh, no, I, I fully agree with you. And, I, and I've had Peter Tolan on the show at least three times. He'll come back. He's the... Uh, the creative partner of Dennis Leary for Rescue Me, and I, you know, and I uh, unabashedly have said, you know, Rescue Me is one of my favorite TV shows of all time um, because of that. I mean, it is it's delightfully written. The characters are marvelously flawed. The performances are stellar. Uh, you know, I'm very pleased. And the, and the shows that you mentioned as well are all really, really wonderful shows. And and it's exciting that television has come of age. Whether it's cable television now, uh, you know. There will always be not so good television. There will become stellar television, just as there have been in the movies. I wanted to ask you this: um, When I, uh, as an actor in Los Angeles and as a director, I would never want to see dailies and would never let actors see dailies um, back in the days of film, because I felt, for me, uh, and if I put that on other people, I felt that if I saw something that I did not like in the daily then I would probably try to adjust for that, and maybe I was doing something or leaning some way or whatever. Now I adjust for that. Uh, it may or may not fit the way the rest of the movie has been shaped by, by, say, my performance or another actor's performance. But nowadays we have monitors, and people can call over actors and go, here, look at this, and that. Uh, and some do and some don't. And, and um, So what is your feeling about that? Do you, you, know, you walk over, you look at the monitor, you see your performance, you go, I didn't know I did that. Um, or, wow, I did that really brilliantly, I'm going to do more of it. Do, do, you, do you find that it, it, it actually assists or it, uh, or it may hinder or, or both, I guess? You know, um, you like the idea that you can look at it as an actor or not? Um, I don't look at it because, you know, basically I re- very early in my career I read some book on Brando and he never went to see dailies because if he didn't like what he saw, the next day yeah. when you go to work, you can't trust the director or the cinematographer or the other actors. And that's a tr- Can you imagine going to work not knowing you can trust anybody on the set? Right, it would right. completely uh, ruin your performance. Right. So I, I never do it. I mean, I've looked at playback, but you know, every time I do it, I wish I hadn't, even right. if it's just an action sequence. You know, in fight scenes you know, or action sequences where there's no like deep... you know. Um, performance to screw up where it's it's just moving from one point to another i could look at that but i usually don't it's not my job my job is to be there so they have something to photograph all right awesome um michael we're at that break point where i'm going to take a short break here and and uh kind of station identify and then we're going to come right back so if you'll hang with me for just a second uh i'll be doing that all right how long is it going to be <laughs> the break, just uh, 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. 
Uh, you're listening to RexSykes.com. That's uh, the official site of RexSykes Movie Beat. Uh, my upcoming guests are Roberta Monroe. She's coming up next, uh, uh, the very next show, and she is the author. This will be part two of How Not to Make a Short Film. Straw Weissman, producer and post-production supervisor, will be joining us after that. Uh, coming up is John Gaspard, uh, author and director and producer. He's written a number of books, including Digital Filmmaking 101. Peter Marshall will be coming back with our director's series. And uh, then after that, Jane Jenkins, casting director, along with Janet Hershenson, will be joining us. Mitch Apley is a uh, documentary filmmaker. And Douglas Dave Stewart is, is a filmmaker, director, writer. He wrote Officer and a Gentleman. Um, Boy in the Plastic Bubble, The Blue Lagoon, and and many more. And uh, that will take us through the end of September. Obviously, there are many more great guests coming up in October, so you'll have to stay tuned. I am back right now with Mr. Michael Paré. Um, so I, I know that was a short break. Uh, did you need do you, uh, uh, you, uh, you need some time here? No, I'm uh, fine. Okay, cool. Well, um, I have a question in the chat room, and I, I'm going to ask it. And uh, and I'll ask it because you know Uva Bull is a friend and uh, and a director of uh, that we both know and, and both friends. You worked with him multiple times, and, and somebody's actually asking uh, the question from Savage Sketch in the chat room says um, he'd like to know uh, your feelings about controversial director Uva Bull, and, and he says that you've kind of become. Um, uh, he says Bull's Muse, and that you're working with him in a number of films, Heart of America, Seed, Postal. Yeah, I did like ten movies with Uwe. Yeah, Tunnel Rats, uh, Rampage, so and the Blood Rain stuff. So, yeah, you've done a lot. So he, he, he wants to know what it's like for you guys to work together, and uh, is it true he allows for a ton of improvisation from the actor? So I guess anything that you get. And, and Uwe Bull, just so that the, 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 the uh, questioner and listeners know, Uwe Bull has been on the show before. He will be coming back. I think in October, so uh, and he can answer those questions too. But go ahead, Michael. Well, I've done uh, uh, quite a few movies with Uva. When you think about it, I think uh -huh. it's like ten or eleven. And uh, you know, the first movie I did with him was the first movie Uva shot in the United States. It was called uh, Sanctimony, mm -hmm. and that movie was like uh, you know a psychological thriller action movie. And it was, you know, very familiar to me, that kind of work. Um, and Uva shot it like a lot of, you know, those movies get shot. But with the second, third, and fourth, and every movie since then, they've been definitely unique to Uva's style. He got uh, really excited about what he calls a documentary guerrilla cinematography. And, uh, you know, he has the idea in his mind. And he... It, it, well, let me. The thing that I did unique with Uva, we did these two movies, Seed and Tunnel Rat, and both of these movies, Uva just sent an outline, and uh, you know a series of scene explanations that we uh, had to improv on, and for me as an actor, that was so exciting and so daring as Uva, the producer, writer, director, because if his characters if his actors didn't show up with something to play, you know, he was really out of luck because he still only has so much time to shoot the movie. But he trusted us to be so prepared that he could say, all right, this is what we're going to do. You're going to come into your office. You're going to go through your, your murder book. You're going to start reviewing the things that happened. And when that happens, you get a phone call, and it's got to be from your boss. And your boss is telling you, and there's no dialogue written for us. So you have to be so ready to improv dialogue, and the scene has got to be so clear in your head how it serves the piece and where it is in the story and what happens next that, uh, you know, because the pressure's on, it's also very stimulating as, you know, an acting artist. Uber's the only one I've ever done that with. I mean, I, I've done a few plays where you do improvs in workshop and you get excited and it's very stimulating. But Uber was like shooting a workshop and making a movie out of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know many people who have actually done that, at least and then sold the movie. You know, Tunnel Rats was right. you know, relatively successful. And Seed, you know, I have a couple of those scenes on my uh, reel because I'm, I'm very proud of them, and Uva gave me the opportunity to do it. 
You know, he didn't say what was supposed to happen. He said, you walk into this room, and the video comes on, and you realize that it's a two-way situation, but the the villain has your wife and child and is threatening to kill them if you don't kill yourself, okay? And uh, that's what we're going to do. Okay, get ready. You know, and then you, you, you just wing it. You know, it's it's so exciting because the pressure's on, but when you deliver, it's like, you know, it's like opening night every take. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Well, I had a unique experience in that Uwe had postal and seed with him, and he pretty much put me in a room and said, watch these, you know, I'm going to go, and I'll come back. I want to know what you think. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. You know, I don't want to do uh-huh. that. Uh, but I did, I, you know, and I loved them both. I, I, I really did. And, and the thing that... Uh, I really admire about Uva is that he's very passionate about what he does. He's he's you know uh, very much a businessman, and and he but he loves what he does and he loves making movies. And, and you know everybody seems to throw that in, and he's a businessman like it's it's not part of being a filmmaker. You know Uva raises the money because of his ability to make movies that make money. It's it's like. Just because you make money doesn't mean you're not an artist. I, I never understood how, like I, you know, I live in California, so I meet directors all the time, and they all seem to resent his ability to raise money. But if you don't have money, you can't make a movie. You know, it's not like being a writer, you know, or a musician or a, a painter where you can do it in your room. I mean, you have to raise money, convince people that you're going to be able to make the money by producing this movie. Um, Uber's, you know, he's not. He's not just you know a businessman. He's 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 in show business. You know. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. I know. I agree. I I and I mean that with the utmost respect because one of the one of the mainstays of of my program and one of the things I really try and get a hold of or get over to people is is how you know you you can be an artist but you also have to be a business person in this business. You you need to be able to. And Uga does it successfully. I mean, he like you said. I mean, he raises money over and over again for films. And uh, so my hat is off to anybody who understands the the business of show and the and the show of the business. Um, so no, I, I agree with you very much. Um, let's see here. Somebody asked another question, and I wanted to be able to ask you. Um, and I, I don't mean to to move away from it, but somebody just wanted to know about being offered the role of the Punisher. Oh, in, in the '89 version of the movie, and I wanted to know if that was true. Um. Yeah, but you know, I didn't find. I was I was shooting a lot at that time, you know, around the world, and uh, I didn't find out about it until after Dolphin shot it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they said, go. yeah, we tried to get you, but you weren't available. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. All right. So going back, Sandy uh, in the chat room says, "How was Uva Bull's uh, boot camp before the shoot? What was that like?" I didn't participate in that. I had, I had uh, played soldiers before. A lot of that was because he took a bunch of uh, pretty green rats. actors. And that was on Tunnel Rats, yeah, in yeah. Uh, outside Durban, South Africa. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have to do that. I, I could uh, play that stuff, you know, with my eyes shut. Uh, but a lot of the actors were relatively new. They were, uh, you know, it was maybe their first or second job. Well, you have done a, a number of action films, and... Um yeah, I've been in every branch of the military. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's true, it's true, and you saved the world in every one of them. Yeah, uh, what? Yeah, or yeah. at least the girl. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, so, so what is that like? How does that differ from you? Know, what kind of stress or schedule or, or you know, working with stunts and 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 gags and stuff like that? What what is how is that different? And for somebody, um, you know, I don't know how you know. I mean, you, you kind of, I guess, you luck into that because of the. The type of the person you are, and the look, and the and the, and the range that you have. I mean, I, I don't know that, uh, you know. I mean, anybody could hope to be an action star, but I mean, it's it's not necessarily going to happen. But you you have been, and you are. So, um, what is that like? How does that differ from? Uh, well, you know, there's you know the physical performance. You have to be in relatively good shape and flexible, and be able to, uh, you know, do what the stunt coordinator asks you to do. Most of these. Uh, you know, like fight scenes are all kind of like they 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 work them out like a kata in in karate, and then you know they shoot them, and uh, you know the stuff with cars and and falling and bombs and all that stuff. It's scary every time because you know it's uh, the unknown. Anything can happen. 
I've, you know, I've been hurt a couple of times, but never seriously. But I've also been lucky and turned down a couple of jobs where people have gotten seriously hurt. Um, you know, action is, is a scary thing, and you have to be careful because your ego will get you believing that you really are capable of doing that stuff. You know, and you don't want to do it because <laughs> it's dangerous. You know, and uh, a lot of times they'll get you to do this stuff, but if the producers and the money people and and uh, the bond knew it, they'd be very upset because if you get hurt, the picture's a wrap, right? right and you right. can get hurt very easily. You know, you you were here in the news, things happen, and uh, you know your ego will will lead you to believe that you are that action character, but you know you're not. You just you're just an actor. <laughs> Chuck Norris and uh, uh, Steven Seagal, you know, are real you know martial artists, but most of the actors aren't. You know, they they you know you just learn this stuff you know as your the stunt coordinator directs you. You know, it's like a dance. You know, um, that, that's all I can say. Action is 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 just like a dance. It's not that uh, difficult. But you know, some people they'll believe when you say something threatening. They'll believe you. You know, and you know if you have that gift, you know it's it's lucky. Oh, that's very cool. Now, I I on the other hand have been hurt, and I'm no action star. But I mean, I've had my nose crushed. I've had both my wrists broken. I've had uh, you know, gunshots that go off and the, and the squibs and the and the, uh, the effects and, and the wood splinters, you know, drive driven into my face and stuff like that. So you you know you've been lucky. I mean, you've been uh, no, all that stuff has happened to me. Yeah, okay. So, but you know, so. it's it's part of the gig, and uh, you can't let it stop the production. Wow, uh, no, you can't. That is that is very true. Um, so, uh, you know, I I mean, a lot of the questions in the chat room are. Um, one is uh, from Jake. Is is there a genre or a character that you haven't done yet that you'd like to play in the future? Um, yeah, I'd like to play a grandpa. <laughs> I, I hope my career lasts that long, right? I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. I go, you know, it, it, this, I hate to get personal, but I do every now and then. The weirdest thing for me was when when I was a young actor, I always played the, the guy who was the friend of the guy that got the girl, or I, you know, I was the drug addict or the the, the bully or something like that, but but never, you know. And then I remember the first time that somebody said, okay, you can play the father, and it freaked me out. And certainly I was of the age to be a father, but I didn't have any children at that time. And it, it just was like, no, wait, I'm, I'm just really the bad teen here. And it couldn't get through my head. So it's it's for me it's fascinating to hear you say, I'd like to play a grandpa. Yeah, well. I, I just meant I, I hope my career lasts into my Well, it, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it will. Uh, now, uh, now, okay, I will ask you this. Uh, I think it was Sandy asked. She said, "All right, so if somebody has a script for you, what's the best way to get it to you? Do you do? How do they go through your representation or something like that?" Yeah, and, I would uh, call my agents or my managers and uh, you know get send it to them. All right, awesome. Um, and then we got another question here, and then I'll go back to my questions. I wanted to know about John Carpenter. Um, yeah, John Carpenter wrote Philadelphia Experiment, and later he, I was in his movie Children of the Village of the Damned, uh, that he directed. So, yeah, I, you know, John Carpenter is one of the legends of American film. You know, he's a certifiable genius. You know, he can scare the hell out of you and. You know, really an impressive guy to be around. Very cool. Out of all of your movies, what uh, what is uh, what ones are you either the most proud of or you had the most fun on? Well, you know, I always go back to my first movie because it was such an innocent time. You know, we, um, you know, as I was describing earlier, we were just trying to be make a, a great movie and give great performances and not be thinking about marketing or anything else. We were just, you know, wanted to be great actors, everybody in the cast. I mean, you know, Ellen Barkin and Tom Barringer were already, you know, they already had big careers. Tom was a headliner. But for me, it was like, you know, gosh, you know, a, a real movie, not television. Uh, you know, where it was a, going to be seriously watched. I mean, greatest American Hero was—it was like comedy. Come on, it was about Billy Cat flying around and crashing into walls and doing these, you know, 
you know, kind of, you know, like like comedy stuff, where this was uh, an important, serious story. I mean, the guy is contemplating suicide, you know, and uh, he actually, everybody thinks he has done it. I mean, it's a very heavy, dramatic role, as opposed to playing the wisecracking teenager in uh, senior in high school. You know, so it was that step from playing light stuff to heavy drama. And then on top of it, it had this great music with John Cafferty and Kenny Vance. And, uh, you know, so that made it marketable. I mean, if it didn't have that great music, it might have just been another one of those movies that fell by the side. Wow. Um, Again, I got more questions here, and then let me come back and ask you this. um, Or or I want to ask you this now. I mean, we talked about you know the improvisational you know outlined of Seed, the movies that you worked with with um, with uh, Uva, and then uh, television having to do things you know word for word because producers are also the writers. But but for you, I mean, and and, and, you know, I got the enthusiasm, you know, and the and the I guess the delight that that that. um, that came through when you described, you know, uh, doing the improv. But but what kind of what do you have to do in order to make yourself remember things line for line, you know, word for word? Well, it's all in the preparation again. You know, if you read the script a hundred times, and then you study each scene and you visualize it, um, and you see how it serves the piece, the the dialogue is that's not a, a really difficult task. It's like the last thing you do is learn the dialogue. So um, for young actors, by young actors I don't mean chronological age, I just mean for people starting out in the industry, what what advice do you give them in terms of preparing or acting schools or, or, or being a Well, actor? you know, I, I have a saying that until they pay you to act, you have to pay to act. So, you know, you should go to class. Go to class. Find a, a good, uh, you know, scene study and uh, a teacher who whose philosophy touches you or under you understand and you know go to class a lot you know a, a painter can sit at home and buy a canvas and paint and paint over that canvas over and over time and a musician can play his guitar at home but you know an actor needs to stand up on stage you know whether it's a sound stage or you know a theater you have to stand up there and, and act and you can't do it by yourself so you have to go to class and so in terms of uh, approaching a career or in terms of kind of helping make it happen for themselves, what, what do they need to know in, in addition to, um, you know, workshopping and acting? And Well, like I say, you go to class. Uh, how do you get an agent and jobs and stuff like that? I don't know. Like I said, you know, my introduction to the show business was an agent saying that, you know, I should be an actor and that she could make some money off of me. So I, I don't know how you go about getting an agent if you don't have one. Right. All righty, cool. Um, but, you know, if you're doing theater, if you're doing a play, if, you, if you're working on scenes in class, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to say, you should be in this. Or even if you just do a little a little play. You know, casting people go there all the time. You know, um, I went to see, you know, I, I still go to see plays. And when I go, I inevitably run into a casting agent. Ask this Jane Jenkins. She'll tell you she still goes to see theater and finds new actors or sees an old actor who's working something out. You know, it's uh, you know, you you've got to uh, you've got to act. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, again, we got a lot of questions uh, in the chat room, uh, you know, about you and your career. Um, I wanted to ask the difference first between uh, we've got about ten, maybe twelve, fifteen minutes left at the at the outside. Um, but I wanted to ask you about the difference between a large budget movie and and the smaller budget movies. Um, well, it usually means you're short on time, short on film. There's no craft service, you know, and lunch isn't so nice. But, you know, an actor's job is the same, whether it's, a, you know, a million-dollar movie or a $30 million movie. You still have to prepare, you know, do your job as an actor and walk on the set and, and act. You know, uh, you know, and the tape on the floor, it doesn't cost that much, you know, and learning how to work with the camera, you know, um, I, I, I did a movie in Hoboken, New Jersey. It was probably maybe a million bucks. And from that film is how I got this part in Lincoln Lawyer, which is a $30 million movie. And ironically, the same actor who I did the scene with in Hoboken that the director watched 
was in the movie in Lincoln Lawyer. So, you know, our job as actors, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it, you know, in a, somebody's garage, you know, in a workshop in, in Hoboken, New Jersey, or on a soundstage in Hollywood. You know, you still prepare, show up, and do your job. So the budget doesn't matter that much to an actor except the creature comforts. All right, excellent. Um, somebody in the chat room, uh, Sandy, said, uh, would you do an Eddie 3 if Wordman, if Wordman and Eddie were reunited? Well, I'll tell you, I would love to do that. If we could get, um, you know, the Scotty brothers own it, I think. If we could get the Scotty brothers to put Tom and I in another movie, it would kind of be like Crazy Heart, you know. I don't right. know who would be searching who out, but, you know, it doesn't take a genius to come up with that story. All right. Now, somebody did want to know. They said, okay, okay, so I sent to his agent, but who is his agent? And if you feel like you want to give it out. Well, you go on IMDb. You know, my my agent is Steve Glick, and my management is Octagon. There you go. All right, cool. Um, so, somebody wants to know uh, what it was like to work with Dolph in direct contact, and was he as professional and well-spoken as rumored? Well, you know, Dolph also directs. Right, uh, and he writes. Um, you know, he's very professional. We shot it in Bulgaria. It was really cold. Um, but the thing that impressed me the most was we had to do this this little action dialogue scene where he puts a grenade down in the front of my shirt, right? And he has to grab me with full force and drop the grenade in. And we did it 15 times, and he never scratched me or injured me. You know, and I think that's because he's like a, a very accomplished martial artist. Uh, I forget what school it is, but it's a Japanese. Um, it's not Shotokan, but it's another one. And his sensei travels with him, and he's a second Dan. And he's just, you know, they say he, you know, went to MIT and has his degree in chemical engineering. And he's also an accomplished martial artist with an amazing amount of discipline. But, you know, the guy's he's, he's a giant. He's like 6'4", but he's very graceful. So how was it working with Dolph? You know, I, I like him a lot. He's a big, smart, graceful guy. I mean, uh, and very professional, never late, always on time. You know, he gives 100% on both sides of the camera. You know, I, um, I thought he was pretty cool. Well, very cool. Very cool. Now, we do. We've got a, literally uh, 10 minutes at the outside here. About eight minutes, actually, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, you and I had discussed this uh, previously. Uh, but let's talk a little bit first about, you know, how, how do you stay sane in Hollywood? How do you how do you uh, uh, stay down to earth? And, and I know we, we, whether we complete that today or another show, I, I told you, you, you had brought up the subject about parenting, uh, being in Hollywood and parenting. And I'd really like to have you come back and talk about that. Um, you know, what it's like to be a dad and, and, and raise someone, you know, a, being around or inside the Hollywood system. Um, so, well, in general, you know, you have to remember that your body and your mind are your tools as an actor. So you've got to keep that, you know, in a very healthy place. So, you know, I um, I run, I surf, I meditate, I... Um, I take care of my mind and body, and that kind of keeps me sane. You know, it uh, it doesn't, which is important, it doesn't alleviate, it doesn't make me fearless or make me unaware of the dangers and threats to your career. But, you know, you deal with them, you know, in a way that you'll be able to use it later on. You know, it's, uh, you, know, I, I've, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I see some people who, like, drop out of reality and stay in show business mode like acting mode all the time. And I think they you miss out on, you know, the human experience. You stop being human and you're living outside I, I don't say I want to say outside the law, but you you don't have normal day-to-day life experiences. And that is really what as an actor you should treasure, you know, those emotional and logical problems that we have in life because all the characters we play you know, that's the only time they're doing it. They're not like actors. <laughs> you know, um, uh-huh. in order to have something to reflect upon, you have to have a, a normal life. 
You know, and I think it's important that you go through all the stages that everybody does. You know, imagine if you're, I think that's why they say a lot of child actors go nuts is because, you know, they don't have a, a normal adolescence and, you know, young adulthood and adulthood and, you know, they, 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 they don't participate in life. They live outside the, the bubble or outside the box. Oh, I, I very much would agree with you on, on that. I, I think that that um, is very insightful and very important and the things that you have just suggested and, and, and the approach that you suggested. But I, I do. I mean, I think that, you know, when, you're, when a, ch- a child is a child celebrity, the, the amount of uh, artificialness to, to what an actual life is like and, the, and the, for the ability to people to be doting and, you know, to, for them to be surrounded and, and to have... I mean, it just it's, it's not a natural, not at all natural, uh, for most children in the world to be treated that way. And uh, it does not surprise me when they encounter difficulty either during that time or, or afterwards. Um, but so, uh, you, you know, you're 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 you, you've got career longevity. You've been in this a long time. Uh, you know, you are in Hollywood as well as traveling and doing movies all over and and yet you stay grounded and I mean we always like this or, I mean did you did you come to this as 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 a, as a young person or or was this more of a realization you had along the way I mean um because um, you know, let's see I I got to Hollywood when I was 22 and by the time I was 27 I was doing my second television series and that's when I realized that, you know, if I was going to do this, if this was going to be like a lifetime career, I had to have a life and not just a career. So, uh, yeah, it took me about five times to, you know, getting used to success, you know, took a little bit of time. But, you know, you get a lot of time off. Uh, did I, was I always so grounded? No, you know, you, you, you land in Hollywood and you got to, you know, find your place in the world. So it's not like I was blessed with this gift. I guess the trick was when I started uh, when I started meditating, you know, and being alone by myself and being comfortable. That's when I realized, uh, you know, that this is was my instrument. This is what I had to work with was me and who I am. You know, when you close your eyes and you're uncomfortable. And what's that Bruce Springsteen song? You know, there's nothing sadder than a man who's uncomfortable in his own skin. Uh-huh. Well. I don't want to be that, you know, and I didn't want to be that, and I'm not. I'm okay now. Well, that's awesome. But but again, I mean, you did you you you, I mean, the way the way I look at it, I I probably was really really stupid up until the time I was at least 35. So I mean, you know, and I'm probably still really really stupid. But the oh, uh, I don't claim to be brilliant. I just have found a way <laughs> for me to be comfortable. I just think that it's great that it that when you said by 27 I was I was you know on my second series and, and that you had the the insight to say you know if I want to do this if I want career longevity I have to kind of take care of myself I mean I, you know because so often that is not the case with people so I'm, I just think that's fantastic. Um, there are, you know, obviously there's so much more that we could talk about. I do. Would you be willing to come back and talk about parenting in Hollywood at another show? Yeah, I can't commit to a date now, but I'd be happy to come back and talk. Well, that's fantastic. So that the that the listeners know we're going to have you back, and uh, and they can come back. We're going to have Uva back and the other guests, so so everyone knows. Um, but uh, we'll talk more about Hollywood, more about movies, more about you, and and about what and you know like criteria for raising a, a healthy family. I think that's an awesome, awesome um, topic, and uh, I look forward to. Um, having you back again. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that Uva put us in touch. Right. Okay, Rex. I guess I'll be t- hearing from you soon. You will. And in fact, I'll call you in just a few minutes when the show is over, but uh, just to just to ch- ch- chat again. And then um, you have a fabulous day and best to you and your family. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Mr. Michael Paré. Uh, I am so glad that he has been our guest today. Uh, I appreciate uh, his insights into uh, so many different things, I mean, into acting, uh, into staying sane, 
uh, into the directors and the different people that we've asked them about. Uh, and I surely appreciate all of you being here and being in the chat room. Uh, go ahead. If you're in the chat room right now and there's Dan and FX Guy and uh, Gaffer Girls and Jake Settler and Dan Tabor, uh, uh, Little Hermie, Movie Angel, Sandy333, Thundercracker, and, and there are others who show up as guests, but these people here, um, you know, what what I would appreciate is if you go ahead and tweet each other, follow each other on Twitter, or Facebook each other, support each other, because you guys have, have been a, an awesome support and an, and, and, and a and it's always good to have you in the chat room. And if you're listening now live, uh, or if you're listening to this archive, go ahead and make us a friend. Make us a favorite right where you are. Uh, leave uh, comments about the show in the comment section there, uh, or on the website, or at uh, you can rate and review the podcast, because, again, that helps uh, extend our reach to other people who may not know about the show yet. And I appreciate it when you email others or call uh, them up and let them know that the show's on or that the show will be coming up. As I said, the next interview is Roberta Monroe uh, and Strah Reisman will uh, close out this week. Uh, thanks so much for being here. And uh, you can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends group uh, at uh, at Facebook or you can just click on my profile, Rex Sykes, on Facebook. And uh, and support each other and, and uh, enjoy each other. And I'll see you when you get... Uh, the next time you come into the chat room. So everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.